Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to Episode 2 of 12 Broken Bridges, New Pathways to Restore Spiritual Vitality to Your Life and to Your Church. God's pathway to heaven is Jesus Christ, the Savior, no question about that. God's bridge to introduce Jesus to people is your local church. No debate about that. And after we've looked at thousands of churches, I'm telling you, there are 12 broken bridges frequently identified. It's not rocket science. This is something you can do something about. So here's broken bridge number two. It's called succession roulette. Succession roulette. Let me just share with you a story. You know, a lot of pastors are going to be retiring these days. And I want to share a little story about George. George is a longtime friend of Church Doctor Ministries. Actually, he's a pharmacist, entrepreneurial guy. He grew his pharmacy business into several pharmacies, and he's also an amazing, committed Christian. He's got a passion to see Christianity increase and churches become more effective. I just got an email from the other day, and I could just feel his pain. He says, Kent, our church has tried to get a pastor now for three years. We've been vacant of a pastor. We just can't get a pastor. No matter what we do, we ask our denomination, and we just don't get one. Our denomination is letting us down, he said. He said, we're, we're just uh, not able to, to get any leader in our church. Yeah, well, there's some issues behind this issue. So, uh, George, I feel for you, buddy. In this episode, we're going to take a look at some of the horrible facts, and we're going to see in the middle of all this a great surprising silver lining of hope, just a tremendous opportunity right nearby. So here's what we know. Pastors are retiring in unprecedented numbers these days. You know, it's the baby boomer end of life, and so that's part of the challenge. The other part of the challenge is seminaries and Bible colleges are begging for people, young men and women, to come and study for church leadership positions. And those numbers are declining. American Association for Theological Schools just published a major report not long ago about how this is a chronic, chronic issue. Of course, they're part of this academia mentality that I discussed in the previous episode. And so they got into this, yeah, we got to get people that are highly, highly, highly accredited and trained if we're going to have, you know, highly, highly, highly qualified churches that are really, really, really exceptional and productive at reaching people for Jesus, all of which didn't happen a lot, but that's the route they took. And now that same association is saying, eh, maybe we need to look past all that extra education. Maybe they don't need Greek and Hebrew ancient languages yeah, right. Have you looked at the internet lately? You can go online and check out about anything you want. You don't have to be a scholar in Hebrew and Greek. But that's what a lot of uh, schools have demanded. And it costs a fortune, and that fortune is growing every year. Man, since I went to seminary, I don't know. It would have taken me 30, 40 years to pay off the debt at the income that I got as a pastor. If I'd have gone to school at a time and the tuition that they're charging now. So we got denominations and all sorts of networks and groups of people trying to figure out how to get pastors to churches. 
And these approaches are literally all over the map. I'm not kidding you. They're just so much of it is influenced by secular corporate world. It's just really sad. We have this overcommitment to control. We have leaders of leaders, you know, denominational leaders, network of churches leaders that mean well, but they're just, first of all, they're, they're all overloaded with all these corporate responsibilities that aren't anything close to what the Bible meant. So denominations are ultimate corporations, and that bleeds to the local church, which is a level of a corporation, none of which has the spirit and the mood and and the dynamic of what the Christian church is in the New Testament. There's little research that goes on about the local church, the body of Christ, when pastors are placed there. And, you know, these over-occupied corporate leaders and denominations who put pastors in churches, they don't have time to do that research. And so they oversimplify the idea like, okay, every church is identical. That's a joke. Because the church is as complicated as the human body. That's why it's referred to as the body, the body of Christ. And as a body, every church has its own personality, its own culture, its own history. And to throw a pastor in there without any kind of clarity of who fits in what spot is, well, that's tempting God for a miracle, that's for sure. And sometimes it works, you know, but boy... It is God's miracle when it works. There's hardly any research, any background work. And then there's these people that have followed the corporate model of an intentional interim for a while. That's a person who gets paid full time and does hardly anything and can't change anything, but is there to kind of shape up the people and guide some kind of a committee that's trying to get a pastor. But these guys don't know the culture. And then when the pastor comes, they don't know the culture of that church. Why? Because, you know, they haven't been there before. And so they can't make any changes, get the church on track as interim people. Meanwhile, a church without a pastor, with this interim person who's a non-person in many ways in terms of ministry, these people without a pastor can't afford to coast. These churches can't coast for a while. You can't put everything on hold. In today's world with churches declining and rampant secularization, are you kidding me? You can't just put everything on hold and say, yeah, we got all the time in the world. Who cares? Oh, my goodness. That urgency of the gospel, where did that go? So when all else fails, read the directions. Let's go back to the Bible. Let's go back to Jesus. And how did he approach raising successful followers? Oh, he discipled them for three years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that looks familiar. But heck, we wouldn't want to do that, would we? So here's the challenge. We have taken a natural multiplication approach, and we have sophisticated it, this whole approach to getting new pastors to new leaders into churches. We have sophisticated it to become an organizational, corporational approach. Now, don't get me wrong. All this education is great. I've got degrees. I've mentioned that in the last episode. But the core of multiplication DNA of the kingdom occurs when you grow by discipling. In case you didn't notice, Jesus discipled the disciples. Paul, miraculously on the Damascus Road, was pulled into the mix, became a great apostle, but he did train as a Pharisee and was discipled in that process. 
He just didn't at first get Jesus as the Messiah, but a little trip on the Damascus Road, a little blindness, a little bit of Jesus speaking into his life, that did the trick. So did Paul get it? Absolutely. Look at how Paul discipled Timothy, Titus, and by inference, people in all these places, in all these churches, in all these letters in the New Testament, and they got it as well. That's how Christianity took over the Mediterranean world in a very short several decades and turned the world upside down by revival for Jesus because they followed Jesus' approach, not some corporate approach. That didn't happen until the Roman church got into all the academia and all the corporation and all the levels of leadership and all the pomp and circumstance, and you try that today? Why? So, pastors in churches are like generals. You know, every army has generals. Yeah, these are people who learn a lot. They study a lot. They've experienced a lot. You know, you just don't start out out of high school as a general. Those are people that have have been tested. They're battle-tested. They're leader-tested. They've shown skills and gifts and on-the-job results. And yes, they've learned and learned and learned a lot of stuff about warfare. They have to. And if they're good generals, they learn till the day they die or the day they retire. But here's the deal. Generals don't win wars. They do, but they don't. What they know helps win wars. What they do has nothing to do with it. And so people used to sing, when I was a kid, they used to sing in church a song that was entitled Onward Christian Soldiers. It just occurred to me that the name of that song was not Onward Christian Generals. But if you look at churches today, most of the work, most of the battle out there on the front lines every day is done by pastors and staff. We even boast about staff-led churches. Where's that in the Bible? Now, if you talk about leadership, yeah, that's in the Bible, staff-led churches. But if you talk about doing ministry in the trenches, that's not the staff. Because for every general in any army, there's at least 10,000 foot soldiers. For every general, there are all these foot soldiers. There are all these pilots. There are all these other people who are in harm's way every day who are out there facing the enemy, boots on the ground, but they're not the generals. That's why in Ephesians 4, it says there are people like apostles, like Paul. There are people that are prophetic. They're prophets. There are evangelists. They're not a lot of them, maybe 10% of any church, but there are those people that have that special gift of evangelists. For the rest of us, (laughs) nope, no way. There are pastors and teachers. There are these special gifts that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, these special roles that certain people are gifted and equipped to do. They're apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to do ministry? Oh, no, no, no. They are equipping people. They equip God's people for the work of ministry. The whole idea of that is equip people 
in their spare time who are soldiers 24-7 who have social networks that pastors and staff people are never going to meet, people that are unchurched. Those people in their spare time can do more than pastors and staff people could do working 80-hour weeks just in their spare time. And besides that, they're out there in the trenches. Well, we haven't done that. We've gone the other way. We've decided to have staff people work them to death and not help them to get trained. And so when it comes to losing a pastor, and now seminaries don't have enough graduates, Bible colleges can't get enough people to go into ministry in a full-time sense at a church. So now churches are without leadership, and no one there, like George, has been discipled to be a foot soldier. So what happens? The church goes in coast mode, in George's case, for three years. And what does it do? The, the denomination gets some retired guy in there to preach on Sunday, so it becomes a Sunday morning general for an hour or two or whatever. Part-time guy, gal, just can't do any more than that. And the rest of the week, the church just flounders. Tell me that's the way to win this nation for Jesus, huh? No. No, there's this priesthood of all believers. And if you're a Christian, you've got gifts. And you have no clue what they are unless you've worked through a Bible study to discover them. And if you've discovered them, and if you've been discipled, then your church can do just fine for a while without a general. Your church can grow without a pastor. Your church can take over your community without a pastor. Is it great to get a pastor? Absolutely. Should you pray to get a pastor? Absolutely. Should you keep begging for somebody who's got extra training? Absolutely. But in the meantime, your church can grow. I've seen it happen. It happens all over the world, not just here. And so if you discover your gifts, then you can figure out what you're supposed to do. And we'll look at that in more depth in the next episode. But think about how we go about equipping leaders, you know, pastors, staff, church leaders. And then what do we call them to do? Is it to do ministry? Well, that's okay. But while they do ministry, are they called to equip others to do ministry? Yeah, it's a challenge. And we're going to pay for it. We're paying for it already. George's church is just one of thousands. But it's getting worse. If you look at the demographics across this nation, the pastors that are near retirement age or past official retirement age, but working as long as their health holds out, the clock is ticking. And I believe there's a silver lining in all of this. And that is, when you don't have a pastor, it's a great opportunity for people who aren't involved to step up. And if they know their gifts, they know where to step up and what to do and how to do what God has ordained them to do and called them to do. And actually, I've seen churches where that's the case, where they have begun to thrive more than they did when they had a pastor. There's a reason Jesus left this earth after his time on this earth, after equipping and discipling his disciples. Of course, he had to die and rise again and go back to the Father. If he didn't do that, in his own words, he couldn't send the Holy Spirit. It was the next stage of God's redemptive plan. So that's a big deal. But also, people would always rely on him. His disciples would have just always looked to him. They would have never been liberated. They'd have been never kicked out of the nest like a, a baby bird. 
Oh, but they were. They were. It was uh, challenging for them, but they were. And look how they performed. And look how it multiplied the movement. That's the point. So you can look at being without a pastor as like some really horrible curse. Or you can look at it as an opportunity. Just think, if a pastor did come along for George's church one of these days, if their denomination finally could find someone to go to that church, what if that someone got there and discovered people that were on fire and involved? I've worked with churches like that. In fact, right now, I'm in the middle of consulting a church. We've done the consultation. We interviewed people. We did a lot of research. People filled out surveys. And we interviewed people in private and confidential interviews. And then in about a week or so, I'll be going back there after this recording. And um, we'll, uh, we'll give the report to those people. Uh, we'll take the highlights of that written report and we'll uh, share it with them. And my colleague will share the basic data of what we learned about the church. You know, like the percentage of people who read the Bible at least once a week and uh, the people who are in some structured Bible study group at least once a week and how far people come to worship and where they're located and what zip code and how many people understand that the primary purpose of the church is the Great Commission and, and all that stuff my, my colleague will share. And then I will take some of the most important recommendations of dozens and dozens of recommendations where we have that church, that we have for that church, that those recommendations will... Um, will help them remove roadblocks and move forward. But I'll tell you something about that church. It had a horrible breakup at another church. And so a group of these people decided to leave and start a new church. And before they had a pastor, they had to take some leadership roles. So you know what's really cool about that? In all the tragedy and travesty of the bad things they went through at the other church, before they called a pastor and got a pastor, and then had this consultation, before all of that, they had to step up. They had to be involved. And if you've ever been part of a new church, a young church, a small church that's just beginning, you know what that's like. But you know what happens after a while. You get a church, you, get, you, get a, you have a church, you get a pastor, and then you get maybe some other staff people, and you get a little organized, and then the number of people who are stepping up in ministry is less. And then people, eh, they're not so involved. Maybe they don't know their gifts. New people come along that never learn their gifts. And so what happens? You get the few leading the many, the few doing the work, the most just listening to sermons, growing, but not doing ministry, not reaching out to their social networks. And so what is it? Well, it's a situation where you just start declining. You start coasting. You start losing. Now, in all of this, we've got to talk just a couple of minutes here about what happens everywhere in the world, what happened in the New Testament, that is the exciting new concept of ministry leaders today. And that is, ask the question, how old were the disciples? They were young, not very old in all likelihood. And so, with every movement in history, there's been a parallel movement of youth, a parallel youth movement. No matter where you look, any great movement in history has had a parallel youth movement. 
I don't mean a, a movement of people to go to college and study at a Bible college to become a pastor or someone in a seminary somewhere studying to be a pastor. I'm talking about young people that go through a boot camp training, and I would encourage you to look into a ministry like that. It's growing. It's going to be huge. We learned about it first in England. They've been doing it for several decades, and oh, I'm telling you, you would not believe what's going on. It's just so exciting. Where the old church is dying in England, there are young churches filled with young people. Yeah, so we started that here in the U.S. It's called Send North America. You can check it out on a website, sendnorthamerica.com. It's where young people right out of high school or right out of college or halfway through college and don't know what their major should be. So they just stop and learn more about themselves for 10 months and become discipled and become disciplers, and they can go out to a church, either be a part-time worker at a church or a full-time worker at a church or just a member of a church. But I'll tell you what they know what to do. Oh, they don't know all the doctrinal stuff. They don't know uh, Greek and Hebrew, but boy, they know the Bible, and they know how to do ministry because they've done it hands-on and been discipled in all kinds of ministry. And when these people graduate every year in June, they start in September, they graduate in June, They've got more and more churches every year. It just grows, scrambling, bidding for these people to come and be a part of their church. Yeah, they can turn a church around, send North America, send young adults. Yep, they're missionaries to America, missionaries to young people, missionaries to old people, missionaries to anybody, anywhere, anytime, 24-7. They are awesome. Well, we'll get into that, but in our next episode, we'll look at mobilizing your entire church. We'll look into this deeper about spiritual gifts. And I'll tell you what, God's way is not our way. The way we do things is not God's way. I'm sorry to say it. But until then, search your heart and search your Bible for God's pathway around the broken bridges that you're facing in your life and in your church. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.